Well, I know there are some new faces here in Faith Builders, so I'm going to bring back something that I've said before, and I'm going, to, I'm going to welcome all my fat Faith Builders. And we know what that means. If you've been here long enough, it means the faithful, available, and teachable. So when I say that, it's a, it's a term of endearment. So I hope that uh, today as we dive into the Word of God that we can uh, be faithful to, to search it out and, and do what God has called us to do. Now, so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to continue our study on the divided kingdom of Israel. And you know, when you think about it, God's original plan for Israel was that it would be a united kingdom with one king ruling from Jerusalem and using the Mosaic law, it would be carried out in the Lord's sacrificial system at the temple in Jerusalem. But sadly sin entered into the picture and God sovereignly caused the kingdom to become divided where there was a northern territory with its own king and a southern territory with a separate king. And a couple of weeks ago we, we learned that because Solomon went after other gods and he did not pursue Yahweh like his father David did, God told Solomon that he would tear away ten of the kingdom, ten of the tribes from his son and that those tribes would actually now be ruled by one of Solomon's servants. And you know, when you study the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, it's really quite sad. Sorry, I'm having some problems right here. It's really quite sad because the Israelites, they were, they were chosen by God. They were to be his chosen people to bring his truth to the nations. Yet time after time after time, they forsook Yahweh and let their hearts be drawn away to other gods of foreign lands. And instead of being the nation that God set apart for him to be witnesses, they repeatedly bowed down to false idols. They, they got caught up in idolatry. But you know what? Even in Israel's unfaithfulness to Yahweh, Yahweh to this day remains faithful to his chosen people, Israel. And in the future, in the seven-year tribulation period, Israel will finally become that witness nation to the other nations that Yahweh has always intended for them to be. You see, God will use 12,000 Christian Jews from all 12 tribes of Israel, totaling 144,000 believing Jews, to proclaim the truth of the gospel to the nations. But in our passage today, we will see the hearts of the people of Israel are turned away from God Almighty. So this morning I've titled the lesson, Jeroboam Leads Israel Into Idolatry. And the portion of scripture that we'll study today, it's found in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 25 through chapter 13, verse 10, and also 2 Chronicles 11, 14 through 17. And as Eric stated last week, our study of the divided kingdom over the next year will be filled with a lot of narrative passages. 
And in some of our lessons, we're going to be covering a lot of verses. Today, I don't have too many, but some, it might cover over three chapters. So, so as teachers, what we're doing is we're going to go over some of the historical information that is in the text. And then we're going to be pulling out the applications that we can use here today as 21st century believers, as well as touching on theological subject matters as they arise in our passages. So last Sunday, we learned that, that Yahweh's sovereign plan, in his sovereign plan, he allowed Israel to be divided into a northern kingdom with Jeroboam as their king and a southern kingdom with Rehoboam as their king. You know, to give you a little context, uh, to go back over some things, in Genesis 35.10, Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And in Genesis 35, 23 through 26, Israel's 12 sons are listed, and their names are as follows. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Joseph, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And then you jump forward a little bit to Genesis 48, 5, and we see that Israel formerly known as Jacob, he tells his son Joseph, your two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, are no longer going to be your inheritance. They're my inheritance. Any sons you have after them will be your inheritance, but those are mine. So what happens is Joseph, now the tribe of Joseph, it splits into the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Ephraim. Now you jump forward to 1 Kings, and the northern kingdom consisted of the tribes of Reuben, Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, and Ephraim. And as a, a side note, if anybody is, is wanting to win the next time you, you play Bible trivia, if something comes up and you want to know who was the most prominent tribe in the northern kingdom, it was Ephraim. As a matter of fact, Ephraim over time becomes synonymous with the name Israel. And you can do your own study. You can look at that and see that in Isaiah 7 and in Hosea 9. And in the southern kingdom, it encapsulated the tribe of Judah. And the tribe of Benjamin, as we found out, they, they were split between the, the two kingdoms. And then the tribe of Levi, they were originally located and scattered all throughout the kingdom of Israel. But ultimately, they resided in Judah during the divided kingdom. And I'll touch on that and why that took place in just a few minutes. So as you're tracking with me this morning and, and you're trying to remember that, that Rehoboam was the king of the southern kingdom, and Jeroboam was the king of the, the northern kingdom. I, I had to kind of work on that because when I started studying, I'm going, are you kidding me? Jeroboam, Rehoboam, I'm going to mess that up because, I mean, how do you have two kings at the same period with names like that? And so I kind of had to, had to remember J-R and I-J, Ij. So J-R for Judah, Rehoboam, and Ij for Israel, Jeroboam. I don't know if that helps you at all, but... That kind of helped me. And this morning, my, my outline, it's, it's a very simple outline. This morning, we've got two main sections. The first section is Jeroboam's wicked ways. 
And this covers 1 Kings 12, 25 through 33, and 2 Chronicles 11, 14 through 17. And then the second section is Jeroboam is warned and afflicted. And this covers 1 Kings 13, 1 through 10. And I'll say it again when we get there. But let's, let's start in section 1, Jeroboam's wicked ways. And I'm just going to start reading the first section of that uh, passage where follow along in the infallible, inerrant word of God as I read chapter 12, verses 25 through 30. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will return to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will return to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king consulted and made two golden calves, and he said to them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt. He set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. So what we get in this picture is that, that Jeroboam, he's the king now established in the northern tribe in the northern kingdom and he fortifies the city of Shechem which was located about 35 miles north of Jerusalem and Jeroboam he was from Ephraim so it was natural that he would actually set up a shop there and and when you look back in Israel's history when Israel conquered the land of Canaan and the land was distributed to the Israelites Shechem was allotted to the tribe of Ephraim. And it eventually became a refuge city for the Levites. So now we see that Jeroboam is fortifying this city and making this his royal kingdom and his palace. But then we also see that he fortifies the city of Panul. And in my study Bible, the notes, it lets us know that it, that it was located about 10 miles east of the Jordan River on the river Jabbok which would assert Jeroboam's sovereignty over the Israelites east of the Jordan. So what Jeroboam's doing, he's, he's establishing his authority over his kingdom, and then he starts getting anxious in his heart. You know, that the people, he's thinking that, you know, if the people actually go back to Jerusalem, then their hearts are going to revert back, and, and they're going to be drawn back to go there to worship Yahweh, and their allegiance is now going to revert back to Rehoboam. He doesn't like that. So he gets very anxious. You know, Yahweh's temple, it was, it was there in Jerusalem. So Jeroboam is thinking all this, fearing that, man, if they go back, not only will they revert back to, to Rehoboam, but they're going to kill me going to say enough of you we're going to have nothing to do with you and your kingdom we're going back and we're just going to give our allegiance back to Rehoboam so remember you have to remember also 
what's going on, what's taking place, and what Yahweh had told through the mouth of the prophet Ahiah to Jeroboam. That was back in chapter 11, verses 29 through 39. Yahweh let Jeroboam know that I am going to take 10 tribes away from Solomon and his sons, and I'm going to give them to you. You, all I ask is if you follow my statutes, you obey my commandments as my servant David did, then I'm going to bless you. That's what it was. You do this, I will do this. But instead, I don't know what's going on with this today. I'm sorry, people. But instead of, of Jeroboam actually resting in the sovereignty of God, trusting that what Yahweh had instructed him to do, to be the leader of these ten tribes, he fears in his heart. So instead of, of just saying, okay, Lord, and giving it to the Lord, we're going to do this anyway. I'm going to send my people back and we'll, we'll worship you in the temple in Jerusalem. He takes matters into his own hands and he does something that's quite despicable. He makes two golden calves and he tells Israel that it is too much trouble for them to go up to Jerusalem. He's like, guys, no, no, no. You don't have to worry about going back there. I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm just going to set up places here. We don't need to travel all the way back there. Let's go somewhere closer to home. And he says these, these golden calves, he says that this is your God. This is the God that brought you out of Egypt. Making golden calves. Does that sound familiar at all? We see that in the past in Israel's past as well. Moses is going up on Mount Sinai to meet with God Almighty and Aaron hears the rumbling of the people. Where's Moses? What's going on? And he makes a golden calf and says, here's your God. And they worship the false idol. You know, God granted Jeroboam the political, not the religious position, to rule over the ten tribes that he gave him in the northern kingdom. They were not ever supposed to be divided religiously. The Mosaic law, as I stated earlier, was supposed to be upheld through the continued sacrificial system that Yahweh established at the temple located in Jerusalem, which was in the southern kingdom of Judah. But Jeroboam, he was filled with fear. And again, instead of bowing his knee to Yahweh, trusting in him for guidance and protection and leadership by listening and obeying his commands like King David did. Instead, he broke the first two commandments and he called upon Israel to follow him into worship of these false gods in the form of golden calves. And he placed one of the calves in the city of Bethel which was located about 11 miles north of Jerusalem. And that was in the, the territory of Benjamin. And then he placed the other calf in the city of Dan, which was located about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And it was in the northern portion, almost the northernmost portion of the kingdom. So again, instead of Jeroboam, just falling on his knees and saying, 
all right, Yahweh, you have commissioned me to be the king over these 10 tribes. I want to lead them well. I want to rule them well. I want to submit to your authority that you've given me. And let's go back, even though we're divided politically, let's go back religiously, we are one. He doesn't do that. Instead, he leads the 10 tribes into idolatry to have them bow down to gold calves. You know, idolatry is a sin, and out of fear, of losing his life, Jeroboam, he calls them to do this evil, wicked, bowing down to idols. And you know, Yahweh was not pleased. He was not pleased at all. And in a moment, we're going to see that, that, that Yahweh, he sends one of his prophets to warn and afflict Jeroboam, considering this gross, gross violation of his commandments. But you know, a lot of times what happens is once you begin on that path of sin, it just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. And so what we see now is, is now that Jeroboam, he, he headed down this path of idolatry, he took things to a whole new level of debauchery, and we see that in verses 31 through 33. So look back at, at Scripture and follow along as I read those verses. And he made houses on high places, and made priests from among all the people who were not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam instituted a feast in the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month, like the feast which is in Judah. And he went up to the altar, thus he did in Bethel, sanctifying to the calves, sacrificing to the calves which he had made. And he stationed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. Then he went up to the altar which he had made in Bethel on the fifteenth day in the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the sons of Israel and went up to the altar to burn incense. So not only had Jeroboam set up these golden calves for Israel to worship in Bethel, and in Dan, but he went further in his twisted sin of idolatry and, and he made smaller places of worship all throughout Israel. So now he made it widespread. It wasn't just in Bethel and Dan, but, but there's all these other little small sanctuaries where they could go and, and worship. But they were not worshiping Yahweh. There was no way that he wanted his people. Jeroboam absolutely was was set upon in his heart that they were not to go back to Judah to worship Yahweh. So this is what he does in place. And he, oh, unfortunately, he just drags the people down. Because when a leader, when you follow the leader, and he is doing that to you, that's what you do as well. And it brings a nation down. And unfortunately, as I said, Israel did that over and over and over again when you read the Old Testament about Israel, they just continue to fall into idolatry. Jeroboam had turned his heart away from Yahweh and he pursued his own path to establish his kingdom. And you know, when you turn your heart away from God towards your flesh, all sorts of wicked actions can occur in a person's life. That's exactly what was taking place with Jeroboam. 
He took his depravity to the next level by making priests from all the people who were not of the tribe of Levi. It says in Numbers 3, 5 through 10, you can just jot it down. And if you want to read it later, I'm going to read it now. It says, Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest, that they may serve him. They shall perform the duties for him and for the whole congregation before the tent of meeting to do the service of the tabernacle. They shall also keep all the furnishings of the tent of meeting, along with the duties of the sons of Israel, to do the service of the tabernacle. You shall thus give the Levites to Aaron and to his sons. They are wholly given to him among the sons of Israel. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, that they may keep their priesthood, but the layman who comes near shall be put to death. So Yahweh, he had established already for Israel that the priesthood would come through Aaron and his sons, and they were from the tribe of Levi. And the Levites that weren't actually priests, they were to take care of the tabernacle, which eventually became the temple in Jerusalem. So Jeroboam, not only does he he set up false places of worship throughout Israel, now he takes it a step further and he establishes false priests, not from the tribe of Levi, but from all the other tribes. And I told you earlier that the the Levites were originally spread all throughout Israel and that they ultimately resided back in Judah. This is why they left. This is why they left Israel and went back to Judah. And this is also mentioned in, and you can turn there now, 2 Chronicles Chapter 11, verses 14 through 17. And Eric touched on this a bit last week. But look at this. Look what it says. It says, For the Levites left their pasture lands and their property and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons had excluded them from serving as priests to Yahweh. He set up priests of his own for the high places, for the satyrs and for the calves which he made. Those from all the tribes of Israel who set their hearts on seeking the Lord God of Israel followed them to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers. They strengthened the kingdom of Judah and supported Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, for three years. For they walked in the way of David and Solomon for three years. So Jeroboam he established a wicked pattern of idolatry in Israel and he set up priests from among all the tribes but he excluded the tribe of Levi. So the Levites said, you know what, it's time to get out of Dodge. They took off, they now moved down to Judah and at the same time, faithful Jews from the northern kingdom didn't want to have any part of that, of what Jeroboam was doing, so they followed and they migrated down into the southern kingdom of Judah as well. Now you can flip back into 1 Kings, and we pick it up back in in verse 32. We see, uh, of chapter 12, we see the sinful nature of Jeroboam, just it it continues to be put on display. Because when you look at 30, verse 32, it says, He instituted a feast in the eighth month of the 15th day of the month, like the feast which is in Judah. And he went up to the altar, 
Thus he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves which he had made. And he stationed in Bethel the priest of the high places which he made. So in Jeroboam's flagrant sin of idolatry, he, he goes again and he just keeps compounding his sin and he institutes a feast to rival the feast that's held in the southern kingdom of Judah. Here's another little more uh, background information about these feasts. There were, there were three feasts every year that, that every man of Israel was required to attend. And the place of gathering for these feasts were designated by Yahweh. And ultimately, over time, these feasts were held at the temple in Jerusalem. There was the Feast of Weeks, also known as the Feast of Harvest. And it was a time of dedicating the first fruit of the wheat harvest. There was also the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it was connected to the Passover, and it commemorated Israel's hurried departure from Egypt and the associated hardships that came along with it. And then lastly, there's the Feast of Booths. And it was known also as the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Ingathering. And this feast, it commemorated God's deliverance, His protection and provision during the wilderness wanderings in the Exodus. And it also celebrated the autumn harvest. And this is kind of a cool thing to find out that it will also be celebrated in the millennial kingdom according to Zechariah 14.6. So the feast that Jeroboam here is instituting at Bethel was to rival the feast of booths held in Jerusalem exactly one month prior to this date that he instituted this feast in Bethel. You know, and even though Israel was and still is Yahweh's chosen people, this was a pagan feast. This was not a feast to Yahweh at all. Jeroboam, he had his false priests stationed here in Bethel. And he went up to the altar to make sacrifices to these golden calf, to the golden calf there. And he built that calf for Israel to fall down and worship. And he starts to burn incense to this calf. So instead of following the ways of, of Yahweh, just like Yahweh instructed him, if you follow me, obey my commandments, follow my statutes, I will bless you. He ignores that advice. And Jeroboam's wicked ways led and guided Israel into idolatry. This brings us to our second section, Jeroboam warned and afflicted. So please follow along as I read the first portion of this section found in chapter 13, 1 through 3. Now behold, there came a man of God from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. While Jeroboam was standing by the altar to burn incense, he cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. Then he gave a sign the same day, saying, 
This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be split apart and the ashes which are on it shall be poured out. So here we find that that Jeroboam is by the altar. He's ascended up to the altar and he's getting ready to, to burn incense to this golden calf. But a man of God from Judah, prompted by Yahweh, goes to Bethel. And when this prophet arrives in Bethel, he calls out a proclamation of warning. And and man, what a warning it is. The man of God cries out in verse 2, O altar, altar, thus says Yahweh. And one commentator says, this apostrophe of the altar is very striking and significant. It is as if the prophet disdained to notice the royal but self-constituted priest as if it were useless to appeal to him, as if his person was of little consequence compared with the religious system he was inaugurating, the system of which the altar was the center and embodiment, end quote. So when this man of God arrives at Bethel, instead of addressing the priests that Jeroboam had stationed in Bethel, this prophet addresses the altar that will have many, many pagan sacrifices upon it. And the prophet, he continues in verse 2, as we just saw, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. This prediction... It happened. It was fulfilled about 300 years after the man of God proclaimed this warning. And you can jot this down. I'm going to read it, but you can read it later as well. Here is what Josiah did as described in 2 Kings 23, 15 through 20. Furthermore, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made, Even that altar and the high place he broke down. Then he demolished its stones, ground them to dust, and burned the Asherah. Now when Josiah turned, he saw the graves that were there on the mountain. And he sent and took the bones from the graves and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these things. Then he said, what is this monument that I see? And the men of the city told him, It is the grave of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. He said, let him alone. Let no one disturb his bones. So they left his bones undisturbed with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Josiah also removed all the houses of the high places which were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made provoking the Lord. And he did to them just as he had done in Bethel. All the priests of the high places who were there, he slaughtered on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he returned to Jerusalem. That took place, that event took place 300 years after the man of God stood before Jeroboam and the congregation of Israel and predicted that that would happen. And the man of God, he also gave a sign that day as he's calling out in front of the people. He says that the the altar there in Bethel, it would split apart and the ashes would fall out. And 
And how do we know? How were Old Testament prophets verified that they actually were sent from Yahweh? It was that their actual signs come true. And it came true. It came true. This there, the, the altar splits open and it is coming out. And it defiles the altar itself. You know, one commentator, he says, according to the Levitical regulation, the ashes were to be carried off to a clean place for disposal. The desecration of the altar and pouring out of its ashes would render the altar and the service unclean. So look back in our chapter, in our verses, and and let's finish it up with verses 4 and 10, and I'll I'll give some more comments on it. So going back to verse 4, After this proclamation, we see, Now when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried out against the altar in Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him! But his hand, which was stretched out against him, dried up, so that he could not draw it back to himself. The altar also was split apart, and the ashes were poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given to the word of the Lord. The king said to the man of God, Please entreat the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and it became as it was before. Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself. I will give you a reward. But the man of God said to the king, If you were to give me half your house, I would not go with you nor would I eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall eat no bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way which you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way which he came to Bethel. So picture the scene. Jeroboam has ascended to the altar. He's getting ready to to burn incense to a false god at his non-divinely instituted feast for the northern kingdom to to fulfill. And and then suddenly this man of God from Judah shows up. He crashes the party. And he cries out this tremendous warning against the illegitimate altar. And then he states that the altar will split apart and the ashes are going to pour out. Well, Jeroboam, needless to say, was not pleased with that proclamation. So he stretches out his hand and he says to his guards, Seize him! But in a supernatural act of Yahweh, we see that Jeroboam's hand dries up and he cannot pull it back to himself. And not only does that take place, but just as the man of God predicted, the altar at Bethel splits apart and the ashes were poured out. It proved that he truly was sent by Yahweh. His prediction came true. It authenticated that he was truly a man of God. And I don't know if you noticed it when I read this, but notice what Jeroboam says in verse 6. You look at it and he says, Please, let's go to God together, the God Almighty, the one that I have followed with all my heart and soul and might. Let's go to him. No, he doesn't say that. What does he say? Look back at at verse 6. He says, let's go to Entreat Yahweh your God. He doesn't say my God. He says, entreat Yahweh your God. 
we see that his heart is far away from Yahweh. He is not blessed by God because he has turned his back and brought Israel into idolatry. But he cries out and says, please beg your God to, to strengthen my hand and, and bring it back to restoration. He was just concerned about his hand. He didn't fall on his face and cry out to Yahweh, say, oh, what a foolish man I am. You gave me clear directions. I just needed to obey your commandments and follow you with my heart and I would be blessed. And I haven't done that. Forgive me, Lord. Change my heart. I'm wicked. No, he just wanted his hand cured. That was it. And you know what? Yahweh, even though Jeroboam was a wicked man, Yahweh was merciful toward him and he does the request of the, God of the man of God and he restores Jeroboam's hand to normal. And then Jeroboam, he tries to get this prophet to stay. He says, hey, come on, thank you for this. I want to refresh you. Come back to my house. Get refreshed and I'll give you a reward. But the man of God refused and told Jeroboam that, that Yahweh commanded him, I'm not even supposed to eat or drink anything in this land. And I'm to go home by a different way than I traveled here to Bethel. So he left the presence of the king and he did not return by the way in which he came to Bethel. We don't have a lot of time left, but I mean, what a passage that we see here. And when we saw the first section, Jeroboam's wicked ways, and in the second section, we see how Jeroboam was warned and afflicted. So, so what are some things, what can we take away from this portion of scripture and apply to our lives today? Well, we as believers, we must rest in the sovereignty of God in all circumstances that we face in life. You never, ever have to question the fact that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes, and he's working all things out to the counsel of his own will. Through the prophet Aiyah, Yahweh let Jeroboam know that, again, I keep saying it, that if he would just follow God, follow Yahweh, keep his statutes, obey his commandments like the servant David did. God would bless. Bless Jeroboam and his descendants. Now there's no prophets living today. But you know what we do have? We've got the word of God. We have the word of God at our disposal to let us know everything that we need to live here and be, make sure that it's a godly, holy life that brings honor to God on high. You know, if you're truly saved, then you can't lose your salvation. Scripture's very clear on that. You cannot lose your salvation. But you're not a good witness for Christ. When you're sinning, there are consequences for your sin. God never turns a blind eye to sin. He forgives us of our sin, but there's always consequences for disobedience to him. Jeroboam rejected the true worship of Yahweh and he made false gods in the form of gold calves and he led Israel into idolatry. As a believer, you must diligently check to make sure that you don't have any idols of your own heart. No person, no object, nothing 
can take a higher priority in your life as a believer than the Lord Jesus Christ. He and he alone deserves your worship. In your life, nothing can be above God. Not your job, your spouse, your children, your hobbies, your income, your status, your possessions, absolutely nothing. God is a jealous God and he will not share his glory with another. So check your heart to make sure that there is, there is nothing in your life that is competing with God sitting on the throne. Jeroboam broke the first two commandments and he blatantly relied on himself and he forsook the word of God. We have the word of God in front of us. Are we reading it daily? Are we nourishing our inner man? Are we obeying God's commandments? Are we living a life that when we walk out of these doors of countryside, that the world can see a difference in our lives? Or are we reverting back and it looks like we're just part of the crowd? God has called us to be holy and righteous like he is righteous. And he's forgiven us of our sins. So let all believers here this morning worship almighty God in spirit and in truth. Never allowing your heart to create an idol in whatever form it may take. But rather may we press on our pursuit of Christ's likeness and bow our knee in submission to the God of the universe. And if you're here this morning and you never have done that, if you're sitting here and you have no idea what it means to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're, you're trying to have your good works earn yourself salvation, I'm telling you today that you are deceived by Satan himself. Your good works are as filthy rags to Yahweh because your heart is far from him. You're trying to earn a way into heaven. Every religion outside of Christianity, there is something that you can do to earn yourself into heaven. But Christianity says, no, 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 no. By nature, you're wicked, evil, and you will continue to be evil apart from the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Each day that you reject Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, you are storing up wrath upon wrath upon wrath in the day of wrath. You are an enemy of God. And if that's where the story ended, we'd all be going to hell. We'd have no hope. Let's just pack it up and do whatever we want. But praise God, he sent his son Jesus Christ about 2,000 years ago, born of a virgin, lived a life that we never could do, perfect, holy, and just. And he died as a sacrifice bled, was buried three days later, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. He's at the right hand of God and he's coming back again. But this time he's not coming back to seek and save the lost. He's coming back as a mighty warrior and he will dole out righteous retribution for all those who have rejected him. So my prayer today is that you cry out to God and beg God to have mercy on your soul that he will grant you repentance, which means that you turn from your sin and you run like mad toward God. You forsake your sin and you're not perfect in it. I still sin, but I no longer run into sin. I'm convicted of it quickly. All believers are. It says in Romans 10, 
that if you confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So my prayer this morning is that you will call upon the name of the Lord. Forsake your sin, whatever it may be. Put it aside and trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross who paid the debt, the sin debt of all who would repent and believe. That's my prayer for you today. And for those that have already done so, my prayer is that we will continue day by day by day to embrace this book, to embrace his word, to devour it, to know God well so that when we leave this room, we can go out and be used as faithful ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ to proclaim the truth, no matter the cost, so that God will even save one more person. Even if it was only one more person, that God would save the rest. It's perfect. One more person gets to go to heaven. And we have that beautiful privilege of doing that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time today. We look at your word and we see time and time again in the Old Testament that Israel, your chosen people, they, their hearts are turned away to, to idols and they worship false gods and you always rebuke them. But Lord, we are so grateful that there's always a, a chosen remnant of Israel that you save, that you will bring into glory. And you've brought that forward into New Testament times where the Messiah was revealed to be your son, Jesus Christ. He died a substitutionary death on the cross so that all that would believe in him through repentance and faith would have eternal life in Jesus Christ. And even though, Lord, there's tough times in this world because there is sin in the world and it's depraved, we have hope, we have joy, we have the glorious hope of knowing that one day we will be in heaven with you forever. So may we continue to learn through Scripture your attributes your holiness and see how sinful we are and confess our sin quickly so that we may be fat, faithful, available, and teachable to be used for your glory. And Lord, if there's one person here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray, Father, be the hound of heaven. Right now, convict them of their sin. Don't let them sleep at night, but may they toss and turn and finally surrender their lives to you. We know that you are a God of salvation and we thank you for that. We praise your holy name. May we walk out in spirit and in truth, worshiping you for the rest of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.